0: So, here's a question for you. How many Bibles you got in your house? Bibles. How how many of you have at least one Bible in your house? How many of you have at least two Bibles in your house? How many of you have five or more Bibles in your house? Six or seven or more Bibles in your house? Okay, we'll stop. Does that include the Bible that you may have picked up this morning as you were coming in? That is it's uh, a lot of bibles. does the Does the number of Bibles in our house represent the importance of the Bible in our lives? I thought about that this week for myself. I mean, Do you have multiple copies of other books in your house? Like three or four of the same dictionary? Do you have two or three copies of Brothers Karamazov? Or, you know, Crime and Punishment? Probably not. And what about all those translations? What in the world do we do with those? Biblica is the organization that publishes the New Testament that we're going to be using together in this 40-day reading adventure. They're also known as the International Bible Society. Uh, They are the home and the producer of the New International Version, have been that for many years now. They claim that there are over 100 translations of the Bible in English alone. That is just staggering to me. That's a whole lot of time and energy and money expended in getting the Bible, I'm assuming, as right as we can, as correct as we can, as relevant as we can. We want to be sure of what it says because we believe that God's word is for his people. Not only that it contains the words of God, but that it is the Word of God. I'm eager to experience this 40 days of of reading together and uh, discussing Scripture together. Um, I hope that if you're going to be a part of that experience, you'll come and join us after worship this morning. We're going to take a break after worship. There'll be some fresh coffee downstairs. Grab some coffee and grab a friend and catch up a little bit, and we're going to shoot to start probably about 11.15, and we'll only go for about 15 minutes this morning uh, as we just meet here and gather together and do some some introductory kinds of things. But I, I like what Biblica states on their website about this reading experience. They say Bible reading wasn't meant to be a solo sport like that. Reading Scripture aloud and discussing it was a regular part of worship for Israel and for the early church. And of course there were no printing presses in those days and so the scribes labored long and hard on the scrolls that they had and they weren't as numerous as our bibles today and and of course not that many people could read depending on what culture they were a part of so there was there was great need for hearing it read, <coughs> excuse me aloud. And the discussion that came as a result of that. The nation of Israel would assemble periodically. We see that throughout the Old Testament to hear the law. <clears> the <throat> first five books of the Old Testament read aloud. And Paul instructed the recipients of his letters to, to read them aloud to the local church assemblies. Have you ever wondered where that crazy idea of ours came from? where we stand and we read Scripture out loud together on Sunday morning, and then we talk about something related to the text. God's people have been doing it for centuries in God's Word. Well, the folks at Biblica believe that the Bible is a story, that it is meant to be engaged in its entirety. From Genesis to Revelation, every book contributes to the big story that God is telling. So it is a story that is meant to to be engaged, and it is a drama, I think, that is meant to be lived. Here is, again, here's something that Biblica writes about that. They say the Bible is more than just another story. It is an invitation. The story of the Bible tells how God triumphed over sin and death, The invitation beckons us to share in his victory. In other words, the Bible is a drama, a story that's meant to be activated, embodied, lived out. God is the command performer, moving the biblical story forward through each successive stage. He's also the hero of the story, the one who saves the world from sin and death. But we're just not passive observers when we read the Bible. Or at least we ought not be. God invites us into the story to activate that story in our lives and in the world around us. The Bible is, in some respects, an unfinished drama. The final act is still to come. Taking our cues from the pages of Scripture, we are called to carry the story forward in our world. I love that. To engage the scripture as a drama that speaks to all of human life. That is what we are called to as the people of God. The scriptures are a narrative of God's activity, a history of his activity, and a looking forward to his continued activity. And his call to his people is one of joining Him in what He is doing in the world. The writer of Hebrews wrote these words, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It gets down inside and begins to, to work and to dissect and to repair, and to reveal things. Sharper than any two-edged sword penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I read the most interesting story this week. Have you heard, you science-type folks, of the dihydrogen... Oxide hoax? Does that ring a bell? Sam is nodding his head. Kenneth, yeah, yeah. This is this is crazy. I, let me just tell you a little bit about it. On April Fool's Day in 2013, two Florida DJs got themselves into some trouble with station management for the prank of warning their listeners that dihydrogen, dihydrogen monoxide letters D-H-M-O, was coming out of local residents' taps. The joke immediately got the attention of the county utility commission because residents began calling the utility saying they heard on the station that the county water was unsafe and should not be used for drinking. I, I was taken in when I first started reading about this because I was reading different descriptions of it, and oh my gosh, you know, that, that all that this stuff is, is found in, and all that it's used for, and, and, and the damage that it potentially does. So these folks, I, I was kind of with them. They were concerned that it was unsafe, it shouldn't be used for drinking and showering for any use. In an email to media outlets, the utility company assured the public that there was no issue with the water supply, and the water is safe to use. Now, you all are smarter than I am, and so you've already figured it out. Di being two hydrogen molecules plus mono one oxygen molecule is better known as H2O. Just water. Just water. I thought, you know, there's an illustration there of a human tendency that I think can be a part of our practice when we read the scriptures. We hear something and we assume that it is what we think it is. It's pretty easy for us to develop misconceptions and misunderstandings, we We can even jump to what I think are erroneous conclusions about things, especially things that are very familiar to us. If we're not careful, we can think of the Bible as something that it is not. And we do that with the best of intention. We do that because we love the Scripture. We do that because it is important to us, all 14 copies that are in our house. We, we come at the Bible, and if we're not cautious, we will begin to read it for something, can I say humbly, that was not the intention. The Bible, my friends, is not a science book has a lot of things related to science in it. It's not a psychology text, although it certainly reveals a lot about human nature. It, it is not a fitness manual, nor was it written to make us successful in life, how to win friends and influence people. Nor does it give us specific financial investment advice for this world in which we live, nor is it a clear window, forgive me on this one, folks, a clear window into end time specifics, regardless of whose timeline you aspire to. Now, it touches on all of those things, but, I want to suggest to you this morning that the purpose of the Bible is far bigger than any of those things. It is far more important than than any of those topics. And so as we we kick off this 40-day reading experience, by the way, we're kicking that off tomorrow. You knew that, right? Okay, good. And you can start reading early if you want to. And there are a couple of grace days built into each week. Okay, you know that. Let's spend this morning in a familiar text for probably all of us, if not most of us, uh, and be reminded of the nature of Scripture and its purpose in our lives. I've, I've chosen a text that, that I think uh, many of us have probably memorized over the years in Paul's Second letter to Timothy, the apostle is is charging Timothy, who is young pastor, young leader in the early church, He's charging him to be faithful and and his charge comes within the larger context of of godlessness in the last days hardship and he reminds Timothy of all the things that that he has Suffered. So let me just read a couple of paragraphs that bring us right up to the text that I want us then to stand and read together. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I remember hating that one as a teenager. You know, I, I you know read a lot of those things and didn't see myself in it, but boy, I knew I was disobedient to my parents. So people will be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful. They'll be unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. Has he forgotten anything? <clears throat> Having a form of... Of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people, Paul writes to Timothy. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, Paul paints a pretty bleak picture there of days to come. And that was back in the first century. And those days are upon us and and yet to come. So, let's stand together and uh, read his directive to Timothy. Here we go. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord for us. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. <clears throat> tells the story of a, an academic professor who was going to be a, a visiting academic at Oxford University in England years ago. He and his wife arrived, and they were walking around the campus, and they were looking at some of the older buildings. <laughs> Wright says, in, in what appeared to them to be an ancient, crumbling stone building, his wife spotted windows with curtains and people moving around inside. And she cried out excitedly, Honey, honey, these ruins are inhabited. There are actually people living in them. The Bible, my brothers and sisters, is an ancient book. It's a collection of of 66 books written over a period of, of 1,600 years by a number of different authors. Some who we are... Certain of, others, not so much. But in the tradition of the church, that is our Bible. That is our scripture. So, here's what I want you to talk about with your neighbor this morning. Vic, can we put that question up? Or not? Should I just go ahead and read it? Oh, there it is if you would, for just a couple minutes, discuss the statement that we just read. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. A couple of questions that that I think are meaningful. What what do you think that means? What do you hear when you hear all Scripture is God-breathed? And how does it make you feel? How does it make you respond? Perhaps a better way of saying that talk with your neighbor about that for just a few minutes. All right, are we ready? You feel like you're preparing for an exam or something? <laughs> okay, so who's going to be brave enough to tell us what does that mean to you? Scripture is God breathed. What does that mean? I like that. Let's go home. <laughs> good statement. Thank you. What else? What else? What does it mean? How does it make you feel? Okay? Okay. OK. Good. Good. Good, good. I like that. What else? What else? Okay. Reading through the power of the spirit. dependence upon the spirit. to to bring that life in us, perhaps. There was another hand. A sense of awe. Okay, say more. Yeah, yeah. And I think I would add to that as well a sense of faith, a sense of of trust. Yeah, yeah. Which is the confidence that you talked about. There was another hand. He is the living, eternal God. God breathed. Yeah, it's certainly couched in, in the character of of who God is. I, as, as we again prepare to, to launch into this this 40-day reading adventure, I thought it might be worthwhile for us to just spend a few minutes together to be reminded of something that we know, but the the nature and the, and the purpose of Scripture. And because my hope is, is that each day as we read, we we want these these truths of the nature and the purpose of Scripture to be in the front of our minds. Because as, as I suggested earlier, we can, we can bring to the table our expectation. We can bring to the table what we, we think ought to be versus allowing the truth of, of what this text is, is reminding us to be uh, preeminent in our in our thinking. The early Christians obviously believed that the, the scriptures had had life in them. This text demonstrates that. They, they believed that the scriptures had life in them because God had breathed the scriptures into being. And the warmth and and life of his breath. That's how N.T. Wright puts it. The warmth and life of his breath was still present and powerful in those words. Now, the word that Paul uses to Timothy that is, that is translated breathe has often been translated as, as inspired. It's, it's a good word. It speaks to, to the origin of Scripture. Where does the Scripture come from? It's, it's inspired by God, ultimately. It, it is from God and that's that's why we we so often speak of the bible as god's word it has come from him however i think one of the reasons that that some of the the other translators the niv translators often and you'll find it in other versions as well they use the word breathe as as opposed to to inspired because it is just really a literal rendering of of a couple of Greek words, kind of a, a compound adjective that they've put together, the word God and, and the word breathe, or, or to blow. It is God-blown. It is God-breathed. It God it's the only place in the New Testament where, where that happens. And I think it speaks to, to both the origin of the Scripture, but it also speaks to that ongoing living quality, or that ongoing life-giving nature of Scripture. As God has given us life and breath... Kathy, you tied it into God breathing life into people. It's that same kind of a nuance. As God gives us life and breath, a, a one-time act, if you will, that impacts me every day as long as I'm alive, so too, His Word has life in it that imp- impacts us on a daily basis. The idea of inspiration has led to some confusion through the years, uh, One point relates to to how we use the word inspiration. Uh, We speak of people, don't we, sometimes as being inspired. The musicians gave an inspired performance. Or the artist was inspired to to paint this this work. Sometimes we talk about feeling inspired as something gives us encouragement or it boosts our spirits. But the understanding of, of inspiration At that level, it's kind of a come and go idea and so sometimes something is inspired and other times it's not. The problem here is that it it doesn't really capture what Paul is driving at. In the words of my favorite rock band in my college years, Boston, it's more than a feeling. (laughs) It truly is more than a feeling. Paul means that The scriptures were were breathed into existence by God, and they contain God's life-giving breath. The Bible is the living breath of a living God. Its application may be different for different people, depending upon time and culture and circumstances, but but it is from him, and it is life-giving, God's life in his word. Another misconception, again, this is my opinion, regarding the inspiration of Scripture has to do with with the process of, of how it happened. Some understand inspiration as God sort of taking over the minds of Many of the authors of Scripture sometimes referred to as as dictation theory of inspiration where God spoke into the ear of the writer and they wrote word for word what what they heard. But it it seems to me that, that one of the beauties of Scripture is the vast difference that just abounds throughout the pages. The different individuals that God uses different personalities and backgrounds and, and struggles. The, the scripture is a book that is very diverse. There's, there's not a, a sameness to all of it. There, there are many kinds of, of literature. There's history, there's poetry, there's stories, there's, there's prophecy, the, the epistles, the letters, the instructional literature written all by very different people. And so it seems to me that an understanding of the breath of God in the pages of Scripture is an embracing that God uses the variety of people that he has created. People, as Dixie was alluding to, who have spent time being with God and walking with him, he uses them to record and preserve what he wants to be communicated to his people. It doesn't always come out the same way. Certainly the prophets were some who were very aware of God's speaking to them because he addressed them often and said, write this, say this. But I think probably for the vast majority of the authors, I hope you don't understand this as heresy, but I think they were just living their lives with God and they were writing things down, and they were recording. And, and I'm not sure they had any awareness that this was going to be a Bible or part of a holy book. Um, but it was the work of God's Spirit in their lives and in the life and the process of, of the church. And so I think as we, as we read the Scripture over these next 40 days, I hope we'll be mindful that it is God-breathed, that as we open those pages, there is life that the Spirit of God desires to bring to us in ways that we've never seen before. And because it's alive, it is useful for what? Helping us live a better life, right? Isn't it interesting how we think of the usefulness of the scriptures, or maybe I should just own that one myself. How I think of the usefulness of the scriptures, you know. Too many times in my life, I've sort of treated it like you know the the magic lantern. You know, if I could just rub it right enough times, then the genie's going to pop out and give me what I want, or the rabbit foot. Um, we we bring our predisposition to the scripture. We bring our desires to the scripture. We bring our assumptions of of what the Scripture is useful for. How do we approach the Scripture? What are we looking for when we read it? I hope that's the other question that will permeate our minds as we spend the next 40 days going through the New Testament together. Paul tells Timothy that because Scripture is God-breathed, it's useful. Another word there is profitable. It's of gain. It's of benefit. For teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. For what reason? That the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2 that God has prepared in advance for those who love him good works. Good works for those who have been saved by his grace. Good works prepared in advance for them to do. Jesus was approached by an individual in the Gospels who called him good teacher. And he said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And so when Paul says that the Scripture is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, God's people, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, he has a very specific thing in mind. It's the work that comes from God given to his people to do. The plan of God since the foundation of the world as a result of Christ's redemption and his people being saved back into relationship with him, suddenly our work becomes what? Living for his glory. Doing everything in our lives that will point to him. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of good works. But I, I tend to think of sort of specific kinds of things that I must do for the Lord. I must do this, and I must do that, and I must be here, and I must not be there. And depending on the tradition in which we grew up, for many of us we have these lists of things that identify us as Christians, because we are doing those good works that we've been taught are important. Now, I'm not suggesting that we throw those things out, but what I am suggesting is that we rethink our orientation on life, because that's what Paul is is talking about with Timothy here. Paul is saying the Scripture is God breathed, and it is useful for teaching us as individuals and and it's important to to really understand that the the primary emphasis here is this starts with me. Because you see, because I want to teach you and I want to rebuke you and I want to correct you and I want to train you in righteousness so that you'll be people who do the good works of God. It starts with self. Paul is communicating to Timothy. Timothy. This is what you need to remember for you. And so, people of God, this is for us. And it starts with the individual opening our lives to the scriptures to say, Oh God, you who have breathed your life into these words, what is it you want to teach me? And that word teaching is, is the root word for what is known as the Didache. In the life of the early church, there was a, there was a body of orthodox belief, and that was, that was what Christians believed. And so it's a, it's a significant word of, of knowledge and instruction. And so God's word is sufficient to teach us what we need to know in terms of who God is calling me to be his follower. Does that make sense? Teaching for rebuking. Oof, That's a harsh word in the Greek, and it really has to do with, with sin. It has to do with calling out the garbage. It has to do with confronting the actions that are inconsistent with someone who is a follower of Christ. I'd rather do that in your life than have the Spirit do that in mine. But Paul is saying God's word is sufficient for doing that in every follower's life, and that's where it needs to start. Correcting. It's a neat word, it has to do with, with redeeming and restoring. So after the confrontation and you look in the mirror and you go, whoa, I really am what the scripture says I am. Then we are encouraged and we are reminded of of who Christ is and what he did for us and who he died for and what has become of us as a result of our surrender and our confession and the salvation and righteousness that he gives to us. Training in righteousness It's a phrase that's often used in the early language that's associated with with training children, the instruction of children. We all know that fundamental to the instruction of children is repetition over and over and over again. And It's the idea of God's people being in His Word, knowing His Word so that the living, active nature of His Word washes over us again and again and again, so that we can be trained in righteousness and be thoroughly equipped for the good works that God has called us to. My brothers and sisters, may we approach these, these 40 days of remembering the living nature of God's word, of of coming to it and recognizing that, that in these words for centuries, the Spirit of God has been speaking to his people. And may we remember that the reason that God chooses to speak through that word to his people is so that they might be equipped to live the life that he has called them to as followers of Jesus. Not the lives that we want, not the lives that that we that we think God has probably called us to, but in fact the lives that that He has called us to as we as we wrestle in relationship to, to the truth in His Word for us. What do you think? You up for the challenge? Away we go. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your word. Grateful for just these simple reminders. Oh, how well we probably all know them. How well I know them. And yet how often in my my time with you and my time in scripture, I'm I'm studying. I'm searching for this or I'm searching for that. and, And I confess, oh God, that there's not enough time in my life where I just spend time reading your word for the story that it is, for the narrative that it is on lives of past saints and the narrative that it could become in my life the tool for teaching and challenging and convicting and training in righteousness so that I might become more and more the person that you have called me to be, with a life that is oriented around you, living for you and your glory. May that be true for all of us. In these days ahead as we read, may we read, may we discuss, may we be excited about what you are teaching us and how we are learning and growing together. What a gift your word is in our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.